0: Welcome to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman, and this is a podcast for people who love museums, stories, culture, and exploring the world. Started from Dance a see No can This episode is part two of a double episode focusing on the Icelandic Phallological Museum. If you haven't heard part one, I recommend listening to that first, then come back to this one. In the last episode, I visited the infamous Penis Museum in Reykjavik with my museum friend Sig. And long story short, we weren't that impressed. I honestly didn't see what all the hype was about. In order to hear a different side of things, though, I turned to another friend and fellow Fulbright grantee, John Bodinger, whose Fulbright research also deals with Icelandic museums.
1: I'm uh, John Bodinger de Urierte. I'm an Associate Professor of Anthropology at Susquehanna University. I have been um, at the National Museum of Iceland doing a research project and teaching at the University of Iceland for the fall semester of 2017.
0: John, mm-hmm. we were talking the other day about the Penis Museum, yes. and I, I recently went to the Penis Museum, and... And, um, I mean, I wasn't impressed. Like I kind (laughs) of, like my expectations were so low. If I, the bar was set so low and, and And so didn't
1: clear the bar. Yeah.
0: So I, I, so then we started talking about this at this Fulbright event about what, what you found interesting is, and I'd like to kind of get that on record and kind of, maybe you can explain to me why (laughs) this, why this place is, is interesting.
1: Yeah. I, you know, there's, I, 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 have an interest in, in, in museums that are, um, I don't know if I want to call them tongue-in-cheek or if I want to call them, you know, sort of wrapped up with the idea of representation and irony and whatever. I was introduced to the Phallological Museum through my colleague here, Sigrid Jan Baldur and I, I read his book. He wrote, a, he wrote a book on the Phallological Museum, and I made a point of coming and visiting the museum as well. I, I, I had seen it before, and I wanted to think about it a little bit more carefully. I think that it's well executed. I mean, I think that they've got a a fairly small exhibition space. They've got an incredible number of penises. And they put them up in a number of different ways. I mean, I think that there's some of it that feels either silly or strained. But really, I think the heart of the museum to take this idea that I'm going to take this personal collection. I think it started as I think that the founder was gifted a bull pizzle whip. By, by somebody, um, a whip made out of a dried bull's penis. And that kind of, you now collections sometimes start where you say, oh, I really like mushrooms and have this little ceramic mushroom. And before you know it, you've got 400 because all your friends are buying them for you. Some of this is all about sort of donation stuff and some of it was about, okay, how do we get an exhaustive encyclopedia of Icelandic mammalian penises, right? And we just kind of like, you know, seal this this collection and say, this is our goal. So having that as a goal is kind of interesting. Seeing a whale's penis is sort of impressive, I have to admit. Yeah, it's but big. It's big. Yeah, exactly. It's, and the cross section is really kind of unusual. But um, I, I think the thing that I was really taken with was the um, the folklore. They have a little mini exhibit, a side gallery of folklore penises, and in there you'll find um, like a, a merman's penis, um, a Welkie's penis. No, maybe not. A number of different. I think there is. Yeah, yeah. a number of different penises, um, and. There's also a jar that's labeled the hidden man's penis, and there's a little piece of text about it, and you're supposed to be able to see the hidden man's penis if you if you meet some kind of expectation. I don't know, if you're pure of heart or a virgin or whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. I can't really remember. But it's it's an exhibition object that you could read in one way that's a, a clear glass jar filled with liquid that has nothing in it but liquid, right? Right. Um, Or you could say, well, this really is a hidden man's penis. Somewhere inside this, there is a penis that I can't see because I'm not pure of heart. But there's also this sort of active playing with museum exhibition stuff, right, where museums are these authoritative structures that if they show you something and they accompany it with a label, you are encouraged to believe it because (laughs) it's inside a museum. Now, I don't know how many people actually believe there's a hidden man's penis in there. I don't think that that's, that may, to me, may may be the, the less interesting part of it. I think the more interesting part of it is this active play with the framework of the museum to stake an authoritative claim to something existing, and yet at the same time, not existing, right? I mean, when you and I talked about it, I sort of said that at one point I wanted to call it Schrodinger's penis because it was both there and not there at the same time, right? Yeah. So, So that kind of stuff... I mean, I've got an interest in that. It's connected to stuff like the Museum of Jurassic Technology that, that really actively plays with a visitor and establishes things as real that aren't really real, but never really drops the mask and lets you know that they're having you on. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to sort that out for yourself as you move through the museum. Yeah, and That's some,
0: definitely the case in the philological museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Nobody's going to tell you it's there or not there, right?
0: I think that's with everything in the exhibit. It's kind yeah. of a, a mix of, of serious, and then all of a sudden there's a... You've got serious scientific names for something. Yeah. And then there's like a cartoon that they clipped out of a newspaper and yeah, yeah. on the wall. And yeah, you're like, what? Yeah. What?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the man's penis is one of my favorite exhibition objects. And the, um, what is it? The silver team, the silver, that case of uh, silver penises. So Iceland won its only medal in the Olympics since forever. And maybe it's only medal in the Olympics at all. I'm not entirely certain. And if, I, if they've won more and they come after me, I'll be sorry. But, so the Icelandic handball team won the silver medal, and I believe that the museum's founder daughter, who's an artist, cast 11 penises, 11 11 people on on the handball team, 11 penises of different sizes, and they're collected in case, and I think the title, I could look this up, is The Silver Team, right? Okay. Which is, you know, sort of like, here are the penises of the Icelandic handball team. They're not really the penises of the Icelandic handball team. They didn't sit for a casting, right? (laughs) She made this stuff up, and she they look like they're cast from other penises. Perhaps she had 11 other volunteers. But just that play with here's the evidence, here's the moment, here's the history, here's where this exhibit would fit into this history as a celebration of this moment. Since we're a penis museum, a phallological museum, we're going to celebrate the Olympic medal in a phallological way, which makes a certain kind of logical sense and just pushes at that edge of believability where you're looking at the object and you kind of sort of want to believe that it's real and you kind of sort of don't think that it must be, and yet it all kind of fits really nicely with everything else that's going on. So I think that when I say that I really like the Phallological Museum, I think that's one of the things that I like, is that there's this really active engagement with the visitor, pushing them back and forth across ideas of uh, are they going to accept this knowledge as authoritative are they going to look at this you know these text panels and think twice about what they're going to look at are they only here to buy the t-shirts and the penis mugs and all the rest of that crap which is also fine you know um there's there's definitely room for that but i i I feel like it 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 works at a number of different levels and some of them are fairly fairly complicated
0: i was just reading an article yesterday uh, from the Tronvig group, who do a uh, uh, brand identity for museums, and they're talking about how the line is increasingly blurred between the museum and the gift shop, mm-hmm. and and of course they were they were talking about like selfies and how you take a picture home, mm-hmm. uh, and so what's the difference between buying a postcard or taking a selfie or taking a picture of the the thing? It's it's all part of taking that experience home in a physical way, right. and and what what is interesting to me not necessarily in a positive way but is the uh the gift shop in the penis museum is that is the storefront display so as you're walking by um that's what you see and that what that's what draws you into the museum and ultimately it's what kind of draws you back out the other end and and it kind of is the most well done part of the uh i mean it's the part that has the the nice shelves and the clean everything else and the rest of the museum kind of like as i mentioned it's it's a. Uh, it, it's in Milad Sparg part like you know twelve point text on a laminated page stuck up on the wall yeah, and I.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you you, you got to love the bull testicle lamps, right? I mean, yeah. those are pretty nicely nicely rendered, and there's a certain spareness to the design of the exhibitions that that's that's nice and clean. I mean, it's it's not it's not totally like my uncle's garage where he collects you know weird penises and stuff. So I mean, they're they're, they're definitely this sort of like. It looks professional to me in a lot of different okay. ways. Um, and in terms of the gift shop, it seems like more and more entrances to museums are dominated by gift right. shops. Or that you so can't So maybe these exit guys the are just ahead of the yeah. head of the
0: campaign in that head of the curve in that way anyway. Yeah,
1: I mean it's like going to the Smithsonian. You you know, you can't get out of the museum without going through the gift shop. And a lot of it's about merchandising and branding and brand identity and all the rest of that kind of stuff. I mean, I think we talked about this as well. That there's this sort of uncomfortable moment for me in thinking about museums, where where it's it's more and more museums need to justify their existence as as being connected to generating particular kinds of tourist interest or tourist income. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to say there was a moment where museums were were, were fully pure and only educational. <laughs> now they've become corrupted, but they do feel like that kind of narrative is becoming more and more powerful in thinking about justifying museums. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I find that
0: a little disturbing, I have to admit.
1: <laughs> the other thing I liked about the Penis Museum that I forgot to mention was... um the, the whole sort of thinking about getting the first human penis yeah, for exhibition. Yeah, I wanted to
0: talk about that. Um,
1: and and what that was about. and So there was an Icelander named, who was it, Aronson, Paul Aronson. Yeah. Um, and his was the first penis that went into the collection. Um, he willed it to the museum, and then it went up on display. But there was another guy named Mitchell, um, whose penis had a name. His penis's name Elmo. was Elmo. Elmo, yeah um and this elmo was well known um he had served as a casting for dildos and he had this whole sort of virtual circulation of of the elmo the penis um and elmo had been willed to the museum but elmo was still part of this guy's body right so one of the questions for me in thinking about all of that was at what point does that penis become part of the museum's collection since it's now willed, although it's still hanging from a living body, is it now a museum object? Or mm-hmm. does it only become a museum object once the body dies and it enters into the circulation of the exhibition? So there's this kind of, this sort of invisible circulation of potential objects that are inside yeah. and outside the museum moving around that I also thought was kind of interesting.
0: And this this is played up too with the, um, they have a, a picture, an uncensored picture of the man with the world's largest penis. Mm. And if you've ever... Uh, like actually read or watch any video of this guy he is a kind of an exhibitionist Um, I mean he he
1: has this he has this monstrosity
0: I think by any standard it's a mon it's 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 not it's not a nice big yes it's enormous and it it, so he can't like walking around in the world people see it you know no matter what he does so he'll walk around in like a skin tight jumpsuit just like freak people out right which is kind of gross but also kind of plays into this idea of like his penis is part of the exhibit. They've got a picture of it. It's significant. Yeah. They might have some words or something from him. Right. And so he's out there as well, this, right. like with this museum object right, right. Um, in a yeah. way yeah. Uh, that that is significant in its uniqueness, I guess. Um,
1: it's kind of, you know, I mean, also thinking about the National Museum is that thinking about museums as these sort of permeable structures, right? that they're they're really kind of porous. They tell a story inside the museum, but it leaks out into the world, right? So I mean, the guy walking around with, with with you know elmo hanging between his legs before he ends up in a specimen as a specimen in the museum, that's one way to think about it. But it's also that museum establishes these sort of narratives that you consume while you're in the museum, and as you exit the museum, you're still part of those narratives. It's kind of framed the way that you're looking at things and thinking about stuff. So it's almost like there's really no boundary to the museum experience, right? That that When I think about the National Museum in particular, one of the things is, okay, so you've gone through this whole museum that establishes what the national history of Iceland is, and then you step outside of the museum, and you're in Reykjavik and so that informs the way that you understand where you're walking around and how you think about the things that you see so so the, the the effect of the museum carry resonates if you will outside of the structure itself
0: so that kind of dovetails perfectly into the kind of last question I wanted to ask about mm. the penis museum yeah. um which is what do you what do you think people are you know joe from joe on the street or or, or where, what is he leaving the museum with what what are they kind of I don't know. I get the attraction. I, right. think, I think, but kind of like I don't know. I feel like once I went in, I already had this mindset and this kind of professional lens that I was putting down. Right. What, what do you think people are, are oh, walking out of there thinking? God, only knows.
1: If, I mean, if Is it informing
0: their life in any way? Yeah, I don't know.
1: You know, I don't know. And 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 I mean, you framed this question really well earlier as well. I, th- I don't know if it was in this conversation or another, but about what the sort of takeaway was, right? And which yeah. is which is basically what you're asking now, right? And and I think that a lot of it is probably, you know, a chuckle and a wink and a nod, you yeah. know, that, that if we want to keep the visitor at the level of Joe, Joe is there to take selfies of himself next to the whale penis and to say that he's been there and or to buy a t-shirt and, you know, to, to, to snigger about, you know, his experience. But I think that there's also this way of thinking about, at least for me, and it may just be to, tainted from thinking about museums too much about thinking about the visible and the invisible and yeah. what becomes an exhibition object and what doesn't um, you're looking at the at the front of the museum and seeing a a, a retail um sort of display when you walk down the street and you look at all the other retail displays on the street, there's this puffin shop, right? right? And it's got all this crap in it that's all kind of screaming different kinds of imagined Icelandicness at me. How does that work to make some kind of identity that that tourists can take away with them or, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. right? So there are all these weird sort of exhibitionary spaces that are all over the place. So maybe one of the, one of the takeaways is exhibitionary spaces are everywhere. Right. Yeah. So if I'm thinking about my privates, um, that my privates are no longer private because yeah. they've been made public here. And now, maybe I'm thinking constructively about the difference between private and public. Maybe I'm thinking about invisible, invisible. Maybe I'm giving Joe too much credit. I don't know.
0: I yeah. love. It. I love. I just gonna like interject. I love this idea of the puffin shop as. The museum of imagined Icelandicness. Yes. I'm gonna just like go. That's gonna be. I'm also taking that one. If you put that on hey, hey, paper, wait a no, no,
1: no, no, no. <laughs> okay, no. We're f- okay, to, fine, fine.
0: We're gonna have to
1: duke that one out. Yeah, we'll yeah. Do
0: co credit there. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're saying, what is exhibit? What isn't exhibit? I think the average person could walk into the penis museum and, at the very least, walk out and go, "Okay, what about a vagina museum?"
1: You know, I think one of the things that that allows this museum to be in place. Is the goal for an exhaustive collection of Icelandic mammalian penises, right? So you've got, you've got, yeah, you
0: got, you got a know, mission.
1: You got a mission. You got a shape, um, yeah. so to speak. Um, <laughs> and you only have so many mammals in Iceland, right? Yeah, so it's, it's possible. It's, yeah, it's possible.
0: But maybe, and maybe, having these museums helps us in the, in the, in the more. A real museum field oh. um, to question ourselves. What is mm. a, what is a museum? Can you you know if, if if someone can take their penis collection and say it's a museum now, and we're like, well, museums have to be educational, right. and they're like, why? Right. And you're like, oh, well, uh, well, uh, well, because uh, uh, they are, <laughs> because that's what, yeah. they, what that's what we do, and yeah. so having these people. Just kind of poking um, at poking at our, our established notions of, of what is real, and, or what, what is authoritative and what is credible and what is uh, valuable to society is, you know. is worthwhile. Was my mind changed about the Penis Museum, you may be wondering? Though I appreciate the insight John was able to share about how the museum is working on multiple levels, I still felt like there was something off about it that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And after over 50 hours spent producing last week's episode, I finally realized what that something was. The Icelandic Phallological Museum, at its core, isn't about penises or maleness or male representation. It's about exhibitionism and exposure. And I think the best way to prove that is to look at the Vagina Museum, which, I was excited to learn, does exist. The Vagina Museum is a UK-based project that is currently only online and at select events, but they plan to open a bricks-and-mortar location by 2033. The project was started in 2017, in part as a response to the Icelandic Phallological Museum. The Vagina Museum has already started educating people on its core subjects, science, culture, society, and history, through its website and social media. Scrolling through their Twitter feed, you'll find art from all around the world, informative videos on health issues facing those with vaginas, dialogues with followers on menstruation, and information on consent, the vagina in literature, sexual abuse, oppression of LGBTQI people, and more. Compare that to the penis museum, where there's little scientific information, fleeting references to literature and pop culture, and no discussion of social issues surrounding the penis. I don't even recall seeing any displays referencing sexual relationships between men in the past or now. What I did see were heterosexual men fascinated by the exposure of their genitals. From Pout Aureson, who thought his sexual conquest of many women in his lifetime meant that people would be and should be excited to see his pickled penis, to Tom Mitchell, the owner of Elmo the Penis, for whom post-mortem display in the museum isn't enough. Mitchell has said that he wants to see his own penis on display and to see others' reactions to it. You can see this theme of male exposure throughout the museum without thoughtful commentary to put it in context. It's in the selection of dirty jokes and cartoons pinned up on the walls above the specimens and in the gift shop, where you can buy postcards of dick pics and cooking aprons with big fabric penises hanging off the front, designed to shock your friends and neighbours. You can see it in the artwork, notably in the collection of silver penises, which, rather than celebrating the athletics of the Icelandic handball team, exposes supposed molds of their genitals to thousands of visitors without their consent. Last, you can see it in a toy in one of the museum's display cases. Activated by a motion sensor, a plastic man in a trench coat and sunglasses opens his coat to expose his penis, which moves up and down and makes dirty comments. You can find videos of this online with visitors laughing in the background, but for me, it just made my stomach tighten as I remembered being flashed as a child while out playing in the yard. So, while it's definitely true that the museum has many layers, and many aspects that provoke interesting questions, I can't help but think that these aren't intentional. That the driving motivation behind the collection is not science or humor or playfulness, but about exhibitionism and exposure. I mean, where else in polite society could all the donors who have promised their members to the museum arrange for their penis to be displayed to so many people in such a positive context? That's my take on the museum, but as John pointed out, it works on a lot of levels, and I'm curious to hear what you think. If you've been to the museum or have just read up on it, let me know your take. You can tweet to me at hannah underscore rfh, leave a comment on my website, or send me an email. Music in this episode is by the Icelandic hip-hop duo P. Okroli. You can hear more of their music, see pictures of the Phallological Collection, and learn more about the museum on my website, hethman.com. That's H-H-E-T-H-M-O-N.com.